Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello there. Welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I hope you guys are doing fantastic. Finally, the spring is around the corner every year during wintertime. It's a time that I'm struggling emotionally. I have my own self-care and practices to make sure that it's not impacting my life. But, oh God, I'm so excited that next week it's going to be the first day of the spring. And as you guys know, I'm Iranian-American. We celebrate Persian New Year on the first day of spring. And I am so thrilled and ready for Persian New Year. So if you are Iranian, you're celebrating Persian New Year, happy Nowruz. I love you. And that's why that I decided to choose an uplifting topic for this week. We're going to talk about sex tech and how it's impacting improving women's sex, sex lives and how you can use it to increase your sexual wellness and can be a solution to many of the struggles that many women are having. I know it's not for everyone, but one of the things we're going to talk about in this episode is that uh, sex tech includes many things and not necessarily only sex toys. So you might get surprised about how you're already implementing some of these things in your life. Our guest is Andrea Barica. She is, uh, is the CEO and founder of O School and judgment-free resource to learn about sexuality and pleasure. She is one of the only queer women of color to raise millions of venture capital for a sex tech company. Previously, Andrea co-founded the leading financial solution for growing startups in Dinero.com and served as a venture partner at 500 Startup, where she invested in startups all around the world. She overcame fear-based sex education in public school and a strict Filipino Catholic upbringing to become an in-demand sexual wellness speaker and the leading sexual wellness industry contributor to Forbes. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Andrea. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited to have Andrea Barica on our show. Andrea, welcome to our show. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to have you on the show. We were just chatting about your book and all the wonderful work that you've done at O School. So it's really exciting to have a female entrepreneur who does kind of who's familiar with sex technology and sex sex and all the exciting things in this field. So it's a tough sell when it comes to sex tech with women, especially many women from conservative backgrounds. They're just not comfortable with using toys and different things that can augment their kind of sexuality. Can you tell us how can sex tech improve women's sex lives? Well, the entire industry of sex tech you know, really has come about because so many people have found that people's needs are being served. So, you know, when you look at the first wave of, you know, when you think of sex tech at all, like, you know, you, it involves anything that is built and designed to help people, you know, with their sexual wellness, because sexual wellness should be part of health and wellness, just like yoga, buying a yoga mat, 
or you know meditating and you know anything um, that would the doctor would recommend. Sexual wellness is the idea that paying attention to what we need sexually is really good for our health. And so sex tech, the things that people are developing new technology for, and that includes you know sexual wellness products like toys, but also lubricants, pelvic floor exercisers, um, toys that help with you know painful intercourse. Um, there are very many devices that are being developed precisely not just to help with sexual function in women, but to help the enjoyment of sex because we know that orgasms and pleasure are also really good for health. And I love that idea of using different things for even improve our sexuality, to introduce novelty, to kind of enhance, and if you have any sexual dysfunction, to kind of improve it. But when people think about, I love that you were connecting it to the wellness overall, that people think about kind of like sexual wellness, they feel if they focus on that, they're shallow, like people are interested in sex, they're, they're, they don't have depth. So there's so many negative stigma connected to people who are investing in their sexual health. I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts about that. Absolutely. Every day we hear stories from people who think that using lubricant means they're a failure Mm -hmm. or that if they use a toy that their their partner is going to be jealous, that they'll be replaced. And there's so many myths that we get about sexuality. And because we don't talk about it openly and because many times our doctors and therapists, not all of them are like you, Dr. Molly, right? Like a lot of doctors and therapists and professionals don't support this notion that it's important to look after your sexual health. And if there are you know, devices, toys, products that can help make it better, then you know we should be encouraging people to explore what's right for them. And of course, not everyone needs a toy. Not everyone needs a lubricant. But it's so important that the hundreds of millions of you know people who do need it are given access to the education and the products themselves. Absolutely. And I love that you brought up the point about lubricant, because even with lubricant, I hear from clients that, you know, at times they feel, as you said, like a failure, they feel like their body needs to be able to produce kind of like the the lubrication. And if not, there's something wrong with them. And although if they use the lubricant, they can go further and do lots of fun stuff. But that's interesting. I I find with, I find with women, it's, it's always too much or not enough. Like, there's never enough, right? Like there's people who think they're too lubricated and there's, there's, you're, you know, ashamed that they're too turned on all the time. And then there's of course not enough. And so people are always going in between too much and not enough. And I think that sexual wellness is the idea that there is not a right amount of sex. There's not a right way to have sex. There's just the way that is right for you. It's so fascinating. As I was reading your book to learn about your background, I, my listeners, they know I, I grew up in Iran, which was like post-revolution. So it was a conservative community. And I know that you talked about growing up in a religious upbringing environment as well. So I'm kind of curious to learn more about your background. How did you get into this field? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I grew up Filipino Catholic. <laughs> my family was very traditional and religious. We went to church every Sunday. The only thing I was ever taught about sex was never to have it until I was married. And, you know, that was really the, the types of values that I was brought up with. And of course, you know, being a very young queer person and knowing that that wasn't okay, uh, led to a lot of shame, a lot of, a, a lot of 
hiding who I really was. And so what I did with all that energy is I started a tech career very young. <laughs> I started an accounting software company when I was 20 because, I, you know, again, I was living um, the life that I wanted, that I thought my parents wanted me to live. And part of that was starting a technology company, becoming a venture capitalist. And the entire time I was really struggling with my sexuality. And around the time that I was, you know, a venture, uh, I was working in venture capital, I started to explore my sexuality. I left my marriage um, that I entered in very young. And the ironic thing was that every single day I was working on investing in or thinking about internet companies, but the internet really wasn't helping me very much unlearn all the shame I had, had gained around sexuality. And so I started to look around and I was really dis- disappointed to find that it's really still Planned Parenthood and Pornhub on the internet. And like what could be in between that was the question that drove me to start O School. Love that. And you're absolutely right that it's either kind of an extreme and even with Pornhub, although there are lots of female users and like people who are consuming the material, the content at times are not necessarily tailored for that population as much because I feel even like I find that with theme what's labeled as female kind of friendly is kind of not necessarily encompassing like or entailing like including people's interests like different kind of showing the diversity of women's interests so it's hard and again the other part is that with porn as we know it's not a sex ed so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so glad that you looked into kind of like using your skills to mm-hmm kind of create a, a service for many women who are who were looking for answers. So I was kind of curious, then what was your first start in this realm? What was some of the things that you explored first when it came to kind of examining sexual wellness product? Well, we started with education. I mean, O-School is called a school because what I found was that so many people, even if they know that sex toys exist as a category, they're not nearly ready to actually even go into, you know, good vibrations or another sex store or some sort of product store. They really, you know, it really starts with people having questions about their bodies. And so O school today is, you know, a very trusted medically accurate brand that produces information about sexuality and pleasure and relationships and all the different things that people, you know, will start with, right. We're kind of an on-ramp. And so what that means is, you know, um, we create content around sex and pleasure that feels safe for people of all backgrounds. And, you know, we're definitely, we center women and we center non-binary and queer people, but we also have half of our audience as men. And, oh my gosh, cis men have so many hangups about sex as well. And so we find that creating a space where, where people can really, you know, talk about the things that are hard to talk about and learn about things that you can't learn about in other spaces is kind of the the key to then introducing people to products. Like it's really hard to sell someone a clitoral vibrator if they don't know where their clitoris is, right? <laughs> and it's really, you know, I think important to start destigmatizing that. And uh, part of how we do that is we produce not only medically accurate, you know, science-based content and research-based content and content to help people with their questions, but we also produce personal essays in our voices section and celebrity pieces, like real, real current events of, of people talking about sex in the real world and then actually bringing an educational light to that. So we start with content 
and we see a direct road into serving people with products. But as a startup, you know, we're still in the early stages of just focusing on the education itself. I love that you're focusing on education. And I agree with you. That's a first step because I often say in my podcast that people know what sexy looks like. They don't know what it feels like because they don't, uh, they never kind of learn how to tap into their sexual mm, energy. Mm. They don't know their body. So I love that that's the first step that you guys are kind of taking as far as educating people because if people don't know what's missing or what they want more of, it would be hard to kind of think about what would be a toy that would help them or that can reinforce the idea that I'm defective and broken. Therefore, I need something else to give me pleasure. So I, I'm very appreciative of that you, you focus in on education and both between women and women. And it seems like it's kind of an inclusive education. I'm kind of interested to see that. So I had friends that they started companies and they had 10 mm. companies and it's wonderful that's your realm. And I'm kind of curious about how were you able to raise, get funding for these projects? Because I know that mo- most of the founders, mo- most, most of the venture capital uh, firms are male dominated. So please tell us about that process. Raising money for any company is hard. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> raising money for a sex tech venture is expert mode hard. It's very difficult. I have a background in you know building. Again, I, I built accounting software, which was funded by investors from the Silicon Valley. And I'm a second time founder, but a first time CEO. Um, so definitely was the, yeah, it was the first time for me to uh, take on all the fundraising myself. And as, as hard it is, it is, it's really also amazing to see how the venture capital world has shifted even since I started raising in 2016. Back then people told me that no institutional major investor would invest in O-School. And that has absolutely not been the case that I found, but it was definitely scary starting out that way. And so like, you know, like uh, fundraising for any venture, you start with people who know you, who can back you. And you start with, you know, for me, it was definitely a few individuals who started. Um, We got a few prominent angel investors and just kept, kept, you know, building toward the big vision. And I think the reason we were able to do it is a combination of, you know, I definitely spent seven years building a network in Silicon Valley. And so people knew me, they knew that I had built a company that had found, you know, moderate product market fit and some success. And, you know, coming from the world, I think that definitely helped. But in general, it was building the best company possible and the team was everything. So I added on a really world-class co-founder who was one of the earliest engineering leaders at WebMD and just kept building a world-class team around us. And that's really helped also raise the money. And we're still doing it. It's really an ongoing challenge. But again, what makes it worth it is seeing how, you know, sex tech is really, would not have been possible without femtech, right? We didn't have a breast pump until 2014 and LV. And, you know, again, there's been, there's been many, many projects, but from a mainstream funding perspective, Femtech really didn't hit a stride until, you know, CB Insights said that in 2016, a billion dollars had been invested in Femtech, but it was largely reproductive care, you know, fertility, menstruation, and sexual wellness was just a tiny sliver of that. And in just three years, I see that sexual wellness is becoming a much of a major contender. You see this at CES, 
you see this with, you know, Laura DiCarlo and, you know, Unbound and Dame and Mod and so many different companies also getting funding. Dipsy closed a huge round. And so I am just one of many sex tech startups that are changing this. And it's about time. It's really embarrassing that it took this long for the investing community to pay attention to a major facet of human wellness. It's fascinating. We had the founder of the Deep Sea and she was telling us about the mm. challenges that she had about raising the funds and the stigma. So I'm so glad that there are women like you and her kind of like increasing awareness and working kind of working to open the doors for a future generation when it comes to sex tech specifically for women. So you talk about it in the book that the market and we all know the market is large, but we are so behind in innovation and solution when it comes to sexual wellness. What is the reason? Oh, there's so many reasons for, uh, for it. There's so many barriers, pretty much every level of society. Like it's not just the stigma is not just social, cultural. It's absolutely financial, economic, and structural. That's what people, I think, need to understand about why we don't see more innovation. It's because not only are the barriers of early stage funding incredibly high, you also see just major barriers from a platform level, advertising challenges. You know, you can't get a bank account. You can't get a payment processing account. Like when you start, you know, a, a quote unquote, you know, mainstream, meaning a non-sex tech venture, you're not going to have as many of the same basic barriers. Like all startups are hard. You know, all startups are most likely going to fail. Like they're going to go through challenges, but sex tech companies have, you know, these these extra um, challenges and that just makes it all the harder when you also have less funding, right? So it's just compounded to be, you know, a really, it's it's really just again these old these old ideas about what is okay and what it, what is not okay to talk about and help in people and it's really a shame because we do have you know so many issues that sexic entrepreneurs are trying to face at, and it's an uphill battle for sure. I agree with you, even with the advertising piece. So I'm a psychologist and sex therapist and I write blogs that are very, very family friendly. <laughs> I think people can read it with their children. And right. even when I try to kind of boost the kind of like how to kind of increase passion in your marriage, like very, very vanilla thing, I get flagged and Facebook kind of brings it down and there are like lots of challenges right. around that. But immediately, like I see another kind of a sponsor ad in my feed about something very violent and kind of a product that would be kind of like very more dangerous in my eyes for mental health of people and wellness. So like diet pills or <laughs> oh like God, you'll see someone, you know, you'll see, you'll see a bikini model with like diet pills and you're like, I can't talk about an anatomical lesson on the clitoris. Like something's wrong here. And you know, like that's the thing that people often get confused about. Everyone says sex sells. Except sex. You can you sex sells anything, but you can't teach people about sexual wellness. And that is absolutely a frustrating thing about being in this business. And it all comes down partly to laziness and a lack of diversity. Laziness because it's it's really just keywords, right? Like they're just saying, okay, well, if it has the word sex or orgasm or clitoris, it's just bad. Anything with these words are bad. And so partly, you know, I, I've challenged companies that have censorship policies to look and it, it is complicating it, right? Like the easiest thing to do is just to say all things with these words are not allowed. The secondary thing is the reason these policies exist the way they do is because primarily 
I think the lack of diversity in organizations, especially leadership positions at the top, because there's few people really lobbying and, and supporting these initiatives to build a more, you know, sex, you know, more open and sexually healthy and sexually respectful population. We need more people fighting for consent education and for these types of things to not be not be censored. But again, where are those people in organization? And are the people that are currently in power really fighting for them? My, you know, suspicion is absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that you're talking about it. And yes, with like part of my practice, I, my clients, they know that I do uh, sex therapy and I work with clients who struggle with eating disorders and diet pills and eating disorders kill people. Like literally I work at hospital, residential facilities that people passed away because of their uh, restriction, but I never heard anyone dying from using a sex toy, <laughs> learning about right. clitoris. So it's interesting that those things are banned, but as you said, like the diet pills and those kind of like more dangerous stuff are not necessarily censored in the same way. So tell us about what do you see in the future of sexual wellness? The future of sexual wellness can be really amazing if we build it. I think that there are many ways that the future can go. And sometimes when people talk about the future of sex, they talk about virtual reality porn and sex robots. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, that's a very valid version of the future, potentially. But I really think about the future of sexual wellness in terms of the, the really exciting trends I see and the, the changing demographics that we're seeing right now. Like one third of Gen Z people know someone who uses gender nonconforming pronouns like they, them. You know, we're in a world where, you know, single women outnumbered married women in the United States for the first time in American history. If you, if you look at all, yeah, in 2009. Rebecca Traister wrote um, a book, All the Single Ladies, about it. And so if you look at all these trends and you look at the future of sexual wellness, you know, for me, the, the major changes that have to happen to welcome the next generation is one, we need to absolutely get rid of this idea that we should get our, you know, sexual recommendations and culture from religious and moral institutions. And instead, we need to start listening to our you know, public health and medical institutions for, you know, what to do. Like, this is important because we don't go to moral institutions to learn about how much water we need to drink every day, mm-hmm. right? So why do we go to moral and religious institutions to think about, you know, when do we talk to kids about sex? That has, that makes no sense. And, you know, definitely comprehensive sex education is, should be in this future of sexual wellness, I cover the limitations in my book about why it's so difficult from a government and a public level to fund these things as well. But I do think that we're seeing a, you know, we're, the, the next generation wants better sex education. And why is it, it, it's important for sex education for everybody of all ages is because people of all ages aren't ready for the next generation who, you know, thinks about gender differently and you know, a trauma-informed generation as well, like consent, but also like how to, you know, really make the world safer and better for for people who've survived sexual assault, right? Like there's so many things that we as a society need to learn and integrate. And that involves education of everybody of all ages, not just young people. And I think that's a really important part of the future. And then lastly, it's really like looking at institutional change, obviously all the products that we're going to be able to access, but it's really much bigger in terms of infrastructure level, right? On some level, it's 
okay, buying a vibrator will be just like buying a yoga mat. That's mm-hmm. one change that we're going to see. But it's also like, wow, you know, are, can the doctor prescribe lubricant and a vibrator to someone who's struggling with painful intercourse? I think so. I think mm-hmm. that we're going to change the way that we think about this. And again, that, that, this is a major cultural shift, but I think that if we work toward it, it's absolutely achievable. I love that you're talking about also, you talked about the education being a big part of it, because I feel like the more education people have, the less intimidated they get around these contents and this information. And the other piece of it, I feel like there is there needs to be advocacy in all levels. Because I, I can imagine, yeah, Yes, yes. And healing. Like, it's like part of what we do at O School, we always say is like, it's not just about educating people. It's about helping them unlearn all the things they learn that are just not true and are hurting them. I had to unlearn 10 years of Catholic school education about, you know, my body and, you know, what was okay and not okay and how to live my life. And that wasn't because I needed, you know, that wasn't just education. That was a process of healing and unlearning. And absolutely, I think you're right in that it's going to take a lot of that for at a wide scale all over the world. It's a global transformation. Absolutely. And I think the other aspect of it is kind of having compassion for ourselves and for others. Mm. I work with lots of clients who are, again, come from a conservative background because that's that's that was part of my past and I'm familiar with that. And in order for helping people to heal and work through kind of like some of those negative stigma and shame they learned as a kid, it's important to have this compassionate attitude. I'm thinking about this was an information that was taught to them by these organizations. And that was then and this is now. And what can we do now to help people to kind of change and transform some of those messages? So it's wonderful that there are organizations organizations like yours that can help people with processing some of these challenges and relearning some of these concepts. So I know that you you have your book, you have your company. So tell us if our listeners are they're interested to learn about more about sexual wellness, what are some of the resources that you recommend? Oh, so many. There's so many companies out there doing great stuff. So for sure, like, you know, for O School, we're at O.School and we help people, you know, for free on the internet with just articles and, and videos and many resources. I can be reached, obviously, through social media at Andrea Barica. And in terms of other, like, there's so many Instagram accounts, there's too many to count. Uh, my favorite ones just off the top of my head, these, I, I'm sorry for all the ones I'm going to forget, but um, definitely Afrosexology. Oh, I love trend. them. I had oh. Delisha on the show. She's amazing. I am continually inspired and just learn from them all the time. Scarletine for the young folks. Mm-hmm. Amaze. God, there's so many like Advocates for Youth does so many good, good stuff. So many Instagram accounts. I can't name them all really. Like there's just so many great, great educators doing work there. And in terms of like product products out there, um, I've already named a few of them doing great work. Actually, one company that I started working with that I love is called Day, and they do a CBD infused tampon that helps for like menstrual cramps. But their but their their content resources are awesome for anything menstruation. I'm a Clue fanatic, big fan of Eda Tin, and she's she coined Femtech, and um, her her work at Clue and her team's work for Clue's research is a great. There's so many great resources out there for. You know, and I, I can't wait to like continue to build that because I think there's so much more to be done. But uh, yeah, those and if, if 
people want to reach out to hello at o.school, we always recommend resources. Excellent. So with the O.school, tell us, is it about like mostly education? Is it free content? What does the, uh, what does the learning like there? Yeah, it's total. So we, we produce lots of articles, all of everything's free on O school. So people should just go there and check it out. And we've got anything from, you know, educational videos about the clitoris all the way to, you know, real, real current event style about, oh, like, you know, Willow Smith is talking about polyamory. Let's see what people think about that. Or, you know, there's so many different topics like that that we cover as well as personal essays. We just covered an amazing personal essay from someone talking about a herpes diagnosis, you know, a herpes diagnosis that was really inspiring. And so there's a whole gamut of things and it's all accessed free online. That is so exciting. So guys, if you need a link to the website, it's going to be on the show notes. Andrea, it was definitely a treat to have you on the show. Thank you so much for the all the wonderful work that you do. And I'm looking forward to hear about your success in your future. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you found my conversation with Andrea helpful. I gave you information about the trends, upcoming trends when it comes to sex tech industries and gave you some ideas about what are some of the things that you can incorporate in your sex life to augment your sexual wellness. At the end, I wanted to ask those of you that you haven't downloaded our free ebook, make sure you're checking it out. I, I drafted this ebook on ways that you can increase your sexual desire and cultivate a healthier sexual desire if that's something that you are struggling with. The ebook is completely free and this is a gift for me to you. I leave a link in the show notes to the ebook and thank you so much for listening to this show. I will chat next week. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.